It should have been cause for celebration. Bonnie Haim finally mustered up the courage to leave her abusive husband, Michael. But before she could escape, she disappeared. The only witness was her three-year-old son. And 21 years later, he made a shocking discovery and finally learned what happened to his mother on that fateful night. Hey, I'm Amy. You're watching True Crime Recaps. So Bonnie Haim never thought it would come to this. Her husband, Michael, had always been controlling, but when their son, Aaron, was born, she honestly believed he would be a happy father and a loving husband. She couldn't have been more wrong. Three years later, she was plotting her escape. Bonnie worked as an accountant at a construction supply company in Jacksonville, Florida. It was owned by her husband's aunt, Evan Haim. Now, her husband, Michael, also worked there as a business manager, so those two saw each other every day at home and at work, which meant he was always around, always watching. Michael's temper had gotten out of control. He wasn't even bothering to hide it from his aunt. The office where the three of them worked wasn't so big that Ivan couldn't see and hear them fighting. And as the arguments got more and more volatile, she started to worry about Bonnie's safety. So once she came into the office crying because Michael had slammed the car door on her hand in the parking lot. So Bonnie finally had enough of bruise after bruise. Her son needed her to be brave and clever. So she came up with a plan. Step one, open a secret bank account to save money. Step two, find a place for her and Aaron to live. Step three, enroll him in a new preschool. And step four, make a freaking run for it. So she came up with excuses to get away so she could put her plan into action. She made sure bank statements were mailed to her attention at the office instead of her house. Since she was the accountant, it was perfectly natural for a bank to be in touch with her. And when she was able to siphon enough money into her account, she put step two into action and put down a deposit on a sweet little apartment for her and Aaron across town. She also enrolled him in the preschool nearby. The only thing left for them to do was run. Michael got curious about a bank statement he found on her desk, her secret bank account, not so secret anymore. So she came up with an excuse. She's getting pretty good at that by now, but he didn't buy it. So he ordered her to transfer the money into his account and close hers or else. And she did, but she didn't give up on her plan to leave him. For the next few months, she trusted a friend to hide any cash she could manage to set aside. And when she had more than $1,000 saved up, she was ready to make her move. So Michael had a business trip coming up. It was the perfect opportunity to escape. And the moment of truth was just 17 days away. Her new beginning was ahead of her. And then it all fell apart. On January 6, 1993, she got home from work at the usual time, around 7.30. She was supposed to go to Evan's house that night to help her plan a baby shower for a woman who worked with them, but she never made it there. Around 8.30, she called her crying, saying she and Michael had really gotten into it. When Evan asked her if she should call her back later, Bonnie said no. She talked to her at work the next day. She never saw her again. The next day, Michael called in sick to work. He told his aunt that Bonnie drove away to cool down after their argument and she still wasn't home that morning. Now, Evan might not have known everything that was going on behind closed doors in her nephew's house, but she knew for sure that Bonnie would not have left her son behind, not even for one night. So she pressed him a little and he assured her that he'd left Aaron with his mother and went out looking for his wife, but couldn't find any trace of her. He didn't seem all that worried about her, though. 
Later that same morning, a maintenance worker made a startling discovery. Bonnie's purse was in a dumpster behind a motel near the airport. Cash, ID, credit cards, they were all still there. And her car was found abandoned in the long-term parking lot. But it looked very different from the way she usually left it. So Bonnie was petite. She's only five foot three, but her driver's seat was pushed way back. Her feet wouldn't even have been able to reach the pedals. Unless, of course, someone else, someone taller, was behind the wheel. Someone like her husband, Michael. And there was something else left behind. A pristine shoe print from a men's sneaker on the driver's side floorboard. And the rare tread pattern exactly matched a pair of his running shoes. But where was Bonnie? She was nowhere to be found. Did her husband make her disappear? So the question pissed him off. And the fact that his wife had been hiding money from him riled him up. But the fact that she was missing, eh, that didn't seem to upset him so much. But the police weren't quite as blasé as he was about it. It was a long shot, but they thought, hey, maybe little Aaron saw what happened. If there was a witness at all, it would be the three-year-old, except for the fact that he was, you know, three. But they arranged for him to talk to a child psychologist anyway. And as it turned out, he had a lot to say. When he was asked what had happened to his mother, he said, daddy hurt her. Daddy shot mommy. Daddy put mommy in timeout. Sounds like daddy forgot that little pictures have big ears and eyes. Oh, Aaron said it over and over in every way he knew. He even drew pictures of a man with a gun. They believed he saw his father shoot his mother, but he was only three after all, and he couldn't exactly, you know, lead them to the body. And they couldn't find any hard evidence to back his story up, so the case stalled. But don't worry, Aaron wasn't left alone with his father. A judge determined that because Aaron was the only living witness to whatever had happened that night, he was at significant risk of abuse by his father. So for safety reasons, he was put into foster care. He was eventually adopted and his last name was changed. Now, it's not clear, it's kind of weird, right, why he wasn't sent to live with a grandparent or even Michael's aunt. Well, maybe because his extended family was split on what happened to Bonnie. Some thought she'd followed through with her plan and left her son behind. That was Michael's story. She left me. They kept telling him he was being brainwashed into pointing his little finger at his father. But others believed his story, and they thought Michael had probably shot her in a fit of rage. But without any evidence one way or another, it might have turned into a debatable piece of family lore if things hadn't taken an interesting turn in 2004. See, Aaron had never doubted what he saw, and he never really forgave either. In 2004, he sued his father for the wrongful death of his mother, and he won $26 million and the deed to his childhood home. Now, his father had long since moved out of the state, but he'd been renting that house off and on over the years, but always with this strange caveat. Tenants were strictly prohibited from doing any landscaping or renovation in the backyard. But now that Aaron owned the house, he could do whatever he wanted to it. So in December of 2014, he started remodeling. He was prying up a concrete slab that used to be an outdoor shower when he saw something strange buried about six inches down. It was in a plastic bag. Now, at first he thought it was a coconut, which is weird because it's like, why would somebody bury a coconut in a plastic bag under this concrete slab? But as it turned out, he was wrong. This coconut had eye sockets and teeth. He was holding his mother's skull in his hands. 
And when the backyard was excavated, more of Bonnie's remains were discovered, as well as a 22 caliber shell casing that matched the rifle his father owned. Now, he could finally prove the story he'd been telling for two decades. After many delays, Michael went to trial in April of 2019. He pleaded not guilty, but the jury didn't buy it. And they sentenced him to life in prison. So next time your three-year-old comes up with a wild story about elves in the backyard or like monsters under their bed, I don't know, maybe just take a second look. Might be true. Thanks for letting us catch you up on this case. More crime in half the time is coming up right now in this next recap. And remember, subscribe and tap the bell so you never miss a story. Until next time, take care.